Welcome to <laughs> the Politics of Tyranny, New Polity's second podcast, which is just blazing in the night like a like a beacon for all for all of us lost souls. Wow, wow, that was great. Yeah, well, I mean, thank you. We've been working on different blurbs, and I like to go big and broad, and you know, yeah, then we nice. walk it back. Uh, freedom, freedom, liberty. Everyone associates tyranny immediately with freedom. Well, Wait, yeah, I mean, that's not true. They think that it's quite the opposite. <laughs> We're going to make a paradoxical claim here, um, namely that tyrants utilize uh, the notion of liberty or freedom in a specific way in order to successfully establish their tyrannies. Um, maybe it's not that paradoxical, especially if you've been following along for a little bit. Tyrants have to use the goods and the promise of goods in order to fake uh, being a real leader. Right. Um, if they don't, then they're recognized and rebellion is almost guaranteed. Right. And we've talked about how the tyrant, how the tyrant needs, needs to amass, uh, a sort of mass of followers who, who will, who will execute his will. Yeah. He's, he's right? weak on his own. <clears throat> and he's weak on his own and that he views, he knows that his, uh, competition for that power, that ability to, to, to execute one's will is that he finds that competition in any other sort of social grouping. And so he wants to eliminate those things, reduce society to a sea of individuals. Mm -hmm. This is something that we've talked about. So we can start to see how some idea of like individual liberty becomes something that can be useful to the tyrant. Absolutely. Yeah. But so, as with most things, um, you got to kind of <clears throat> understand what the thing is before you understand the, <clears throat> what what uh, trash heap people are making of it. Yeah, what the perversion of it is. Mm -hmm. Right. So what the thing is. When do you feel free? <laughs> when do I feel free? Yeah. When do we feel the most free? I, you know what? I, I think I had a teacher once who said something that always stuck with me, which was something like he was describing the, the experience of being at home. So being um, around the dinner table with friends and family in a loving setting where everyone knows who you are and you know who they are and you can be yourself and you're, you can just be free to be yourself and to talk and to laugh, tell stories and be together. Yeah. There's, that there's an experience of freedom there because you're not forced to dissemble or wear a mask or manipulate mm -hmm. or, you know, you're not under threat and you're not fearful. Yeah. Right. And so that's the, if you're just talking about the sort of experience, like the subjective experience of freedom. Yeah. That's, I think what it is. Being at, <laughs> being at home. Being at home. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't think that's immediately what we would tend to describe as freedom. You know, when I, when I hear people defending it, it just seems to be in a certain respect, a lack of someone telling me not to do something. Yeah, right. Which is a which is a very a very um, when you think about it, weird way of talking about it because it, it it has no content. Right. Right. I mean, it just has a, an entirely negative content that doesn't really amount to anything. Just the absence of. So so you say something like, I mean, a question or example I give my students, which I guess is kind of silly, but whatever is. I ask them, am I free to slam dunk? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and it always throws them for a loop because like, obviously I can't slam dunk because really I'm short and out oh. of shape and Sorry. not very athletic. So the whole, the whole, I, the notion of me slam dunking is an absurd absurdity, mm -hmm. but nobody is keeping me from doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's no one constraining me from do it, but mm -hmm. the, doing it, but like the cosmos itself won't allow me to do it. <laughs> right? Like it's impossible. To sure. Do. Blame it on the cosmos. So, 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 but the point would be that like, 
in a certain way of thinking, I am free to do it, right? I am free to slam dunk. And, and, and were I to have some sort of surgery that fixed my body in such a way that all of a sudden I could, in that way of thinking, my freedom wouldn't have increased. Yeah. Right. And, th and that I find to be a very shallow understanding of freedom because it, it, it's like, well, if it's just a negative freedom that it's all, it doesn't really matter. It's like a infinite, <laughs> there's like an infinite number of things I'm not constrained to do. Yeah, totally. Anyone. Totally. I, th this is <laughs> one of the problems I've had in reading uh, kids books and pick up a kid's book and, and often about midway through writing the book, the author panics because they don't know what to tell children. So they, they tell them things like you can be whatever you want to be. Right. And they start listing off different things, but it's yeah. open to infinity, right? You can be yeah. an astronaut. You can be a lawyer. You can be a fireman or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And it's always struck me as this really unhelpful thing to tell children because it's, it's not true. Actually. It's totally untrue. Yeah. No, you, right. can, you can be a certain so, number of possible things. So, you know, I mean, a, a, a way of understanding freedom that, I mean, we're talking really about some, some notion of some sort of a political freedom here, yeah. because I mean, we can, we could talk about psychological, metaphysical freedom, that kind of thing. But I think that we want to cut right to the social implications of what we're talking about. And I think freedom then there in a, in a more Catholic understanding would be, it, it always includes that negative freedom, that freedom from constraint, mm -hmm. right? Because, but it, the positive side is what you are actually capable of, of doing. Absolutely. And that is both a question of ends and means. So what ends are available to you? Mm -hmm. And then your ability to efficaciously choose means that achieve that end. Yeah. So there's there's a multi which which maybe a shorthand for all that would be power or something, you know, something like that. No, yeah, that's right. Power. You have you have the power to do certain things. I think when you really get down to what freedom is with that description you gave of being at home it's not just like because the fire is warm and the and it's like cozy yeah it's not it's not quite the coziness it's that you have the power to achieve certain ends that you see are good and you experience no resistance no resistance that's right that's no, right so yeah, so yeah. that has a, both that positive side you know namely i am creatively choosing uh, yeah. ends uh, creatively choosing means to ends that I I really do enjoy and want. Well, because the, because it, it, that example is making it's it's making use of the insight that our ultimate end is happiness. Right. Sure. And so this is a place where we experience happiness. So we're achieving our end, which must mean that it's a a completion of freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Because freedom is the the ability to to select means towards the achievement of the end, and the end is always ultimately happiness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but. But this 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 is a very important. Once we start going down this road, we can see that for the question of freedom actually gets very complex because when you talk about ends and means, we're not. You know, one of the things we have to understand is that the world in which we inhabit is a world that is full of possible ends and means. But that world is not static. Like that world itself is a world that is um, constructed by or contingent upon who we are yeah. and, the, and the society that we that we inhabit. So, so it take, the question of freedom takes on a directly political um, uh, aspect to it. So I, I think one way to, to, to describe this might be an analogy that is helpful is one that um, appears from time to time in, in people who are discussing this and is a useful one, which is learning a musical instrument. Mm. It's one of the ways that this is described. So. So, for example, if you if you think about a if you think about a three year old sitting at a keyboard, a computer, uh, a piano, not a, not a computer, a piano, and sitting on the bench, and, and the three year old is, has his 
hands on the keyboard and can do whatever he wants. I mean, mm -hmm. he can bang away freely, right? Mm -hmm. There's no rules. There's no constraint. He can do so in a, in a sort of negative freedom sense. He's entirely free, right. right? But what really does that freedom amount to, right? Like the, what are really the options that are available to him, right? right? Not, well, not many. Not many. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what he, which keys he decides to bang. It all pretty much sounds the same. Yeah. It doesn't, what if he desires to play Beethoven? He can't. What if he desires to affect his audience in some particular way? He can't. What if he desires to express an emotion, his own emotion or idea? He can't. Mm -hmm. What if he, you know, like his, his, the actual ends that are available to him and the means of achieving them are constrained and cramped and small, yeah. even though his negative freedom is completely open. Mm -hmm. So then, then you think you, you contrast him with, with say a master pianist, right? Who's sitting down at the same keyboard, who has the same negative freedom, the same lack of constraint. Right. But this, this uh, man sitting at the keyboard can do all those things I just said. He can play Beethoven if he wants. He can express an idea or an emotion. He can affect his audience. And, and then ultimately, the real sort of you know, culmination of this is that he can create new music, right? He, he, he doesn't even have to, like he, understand, he can understand the instrument to such an extent and be so such a master of it that he can do things with it that no one has ever done before. Yeah, right. Like out of out of nothing. Right. Right. Now there's freedom. Like that's the the positive notion of freedom. Absolutely. Is that you're creative. You you live. You inhabit a world that you are. You you control. It's yours. Right. right. Like unto God. Yeah. Like 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 I think I think that that the artist who like the like the pianist is tapping into his spiritual nature there right that's a divine attribute to create mm -hmm. from nothing mm -hmm. you know okay so um but how does the one get from the three-year-old to the to the to the pianist that's the question right from the master and and this is where the catholic understanding of uh a very, a very i think actually has many layers to it but it's simplest we're talking about the formation of virtue so how does it how, i mean how does it actually work in the analogy the 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 little boy begins with a master who's going to train him mm -hmm. and he begins under discipline and he begins learning the rules and he begins ha doing things that are uncomfortable to his body, uncomfortable to his mind, holding his hands certain ways, memorizing how to read notes, memorizing, uh, you know, particular compositions, you know, like drilling, mm -hmm. he's doing these things. And that is the way in which he develops a knowledge of the instrument and of himself. So the, the coordination of the world that he inhabits and who he is and what he's capable that, you know, those, that connection becomes built through this training. Mm -hmm. um, and over time, it becomes less painful, right? It becomes less constrained. It becomes less. So, so, I mean, we can think of that as being, he, he begins being constrained, like his negative freedom is, is reduced. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. But as he, as he becomes a master himself over time, he, those, those rules becomes internalized, but the real, so they become an aspect of who he is, right? He no longer has to concentrate on holding his hands a certain way. He just does it. Yeah. He no longer has to even read the music. He just, his eyes just go, go across it and he plays it without, without mm -hmm. having to think about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's becoming internalized. Um, but the thing that, and so he becomes free from the law, we can say, or free from the training as that goes on. But the thing that, the, the thing that's particularly important about this analogy is that 
he's not merely being habituated to the law, whatever it might be. It's not like he's just becoming, um, you know, a, a, such a well-trained slave that he doesn't think about it anymore. Because if if the master who's teaching him is is doing a good job and is a master himself, then the, the rules he's learning when they are internalized, when they, they're actually surpassed and fulfilled, right? right? So he's not now just slavishly doing it. Right. Because what happens is as you learn, as you, as you, as the rules become um, internalized, if they're true rules, then you learn, you become aware of the nature of the, of the instrument and the nature of yourself. So you're, you're you start reaching past the particulars into the universal. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you, you, you learn that the rules can be dispensed. You rule, you learn that the rules were useful. Right. But as you become a master, you don't really have to follow them. Right. Anymore. Maybe you don't have to hold your hands. Yeah. Quite <laughs> because you're going to try something different. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you know what you, 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 you become such a master of it that you, you, um, yeah, that you can create beyond the rules. Which is why watching a concert pianist is so fun because <laughs> I mean, like they're, they're like crazy people. Uh, and they, yeah. and they are certainly the opposite of like, a formality right. to them you have the sense of them like you know their own creative war with their instrument yeah exactly yeah yeah totally but but really entertaining <laughs> but being classically trained is normally like an essential aspect of it. oh yeah yeah because yeah. they went through it yeah exactly <laughs> so so what we're talking about there the analogy here is about learning virtue yeah so because what what, what we're saying is that virtue is is the 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 discipline of of your rationality coming to control your passions and your mm -hmm. powers mm -hmm. um so so that the, the over time in, tra in moral training um in intellectual training you become a master of your of yourself and also a master of the world that you inhabit mm -hmm. right so the world you inhabit part of part of the training in virtue is the it's not just about the will it's about the intellect right so you're learning what is in the world, what the world is for, what the world is capable of, what it's populated with, what it can do. Mm -hmm. And then and then at the same time, learning and, and, and getting control of yourself and your own abilities. So you become occupying a world that's expanding in possibilities at the same rate at which your power within that world is expanding. Right. So you're quite literally becoming more and more at home in, in the, the world. world. Yeah. The world itself becomes someplace that you live in. You know, and that isn't and that you aren't constrained by, but are free within. Absolutely. All right. So this is the idea that this is the movement into human perfection and human perfection is free, like, like the human nature, part of what makes us distinct. In fact, we're the only, we're the only um, creature on earth, material creature who is free, right? So this movement into our, into our freedom, the animals don't have this, for example. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like... <clears throat> You're defining freedom from the Catholic perspective here as the power to act well within a given world. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, the, the ability, like the, that idea that the ability to select means towards the proposed end, <laughs> but the idea would be the end is, is the true end of our nature, happiness. That's what we're after. And so the ability to select means that are conducive to the fulfillment of our natures or to happiness, mm -hmm. but that ability isn't in a static world. Mm -hmm. the The world of possible means is itself expands as the ability to choose them increases. Right, because freedom is always creative. So the scope gets bigger. So can. it's not like we're just talking about some static world with, mm -hmm. with so many decisions available. And then how many do you have? Do you have this many or that many? Mm -hmm. Like 
as you, there's no limit to virtue, right? So virtue is qualitative and you can always go deeper into it. Yeah. Because the world is an idea of God, you never exhaust the possibilities of the cosmos, right? It's, it, it's, it, there's an infinite number of combinations. There's an infinite number of ways well, it, in which it, things could be aligned. And it also just strikes me that virtuous <laughs> men tend to build things. But yeah, in a similar way where you're talking about the the mas the the one who masters it, his instrument is sort of known not simply by technical perfection but also by creativity at the end. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, which which is which is which and and one of the one aspect of that is then he is in a position to be a master to a, an apprentice himself. Sure. Right. Because somebody a, a a truly excellent teacher, or we might say legislator in the sense, right? Like a truly ex, uh, uh, excellent person is able because they understand the universal they're able to instantiate that in particular rules for right. the for the specific apprentice right like i i know how good it is to have your fingers fly across the keyboard so i know how to instantiate that end by giving you a particular means towards it namely practicing your scales yeah and i'm not <laughs> and i'm not i haven't just memorized the exact rules that i was given mm -hmm. because i because i'm truly a master i'm capable of adapting those rules to you right, right. because i know what the rules are for right absolutely right? <laughs> so um, yeah, so I understand what the function of the rules are. So the idea then that this and this is an important this whole thing is an important discussion to understand that the that when we talk about human liberty, we are talking about an end, right? That, that it's not a means towards an end. You want people to be there. You want them free to be free. Men, happy men are free men. Yeah, virtuous men are free men. Fulfilled like like the freedom is is one way of describing the end of man totally not just a means towards an end which is a which is a, a decisive break with liberalism as i think we'll talk about in a minute yeah well, i mean really... i think we can move that way because what what immediately strikes strikes me about this definition is how you might even say freedom is sort of synonymous with power because what you're you're not describing is simply the lack of someone telling you what to do you're describing the end goal with where you have capacities for action mm -hmm. that are expansive and expanding mm -hmm. in a never-ending kind of expansion because you could presumably always... You can always approach. You could always get closer to God and he's always still infinitely far away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also a social reality. Um, so yes, that's not right. only because it's it, yeah. through a process of training, but also because, you know, being a powerful person and i mean this in a really good way because we tend to think of powerful people as bad people which is the opposite of what you're saying you're saying they're free people mm -hmm. properly speaking right um being a powerful person is a way of describing your interrelatedness with the world i mean the, what you've described as sort of the mastery of of the instrument and the and the freedom from the law seems to be a description of a free man faces the world and knows it so well and has and has um come to inhabit it and to have mastery over it um that he can activate more of its powers than the one who isn't in that same position who doesn't have that freedom right yeah and so what i'm what i'm what i'm hoping to get at is that part of the the world that you uh, are able to activate the powers of is other people so I mean, his freedom has this in a social context uh, is increased not simply within the individual. Like I get to do more and more of what I want, 
but I have deeper and deeper friendships or I have uh, more and more trust. I have more and more uh, of an ability to work with, say, another person to get um, an end that we desire. Absolutely. Right. And, and you see this also, I think, in, in moral training. I mean, like so much of moral training is just training in justice. Mm -hmm. uh, but justice is giving each one his due. And so you become a master at giving each one his, one his due, which means that as you become more virtuous, you're also more and more able to include other people justly within your power. Like right. I'm going to work with you to attain yeah, this yeah. or that end of a society. Right. So it seems like it. Uh, well, I mean, one way there's, there's, there's two things, two different directions here. I would like to, to, yeah. to bounce off what you just said. One of them is directly what you were saying is that the the builder so the 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 master who trains someone so say a father with his son trains that person to achieve mastery themselves mm -hmm. and when they do in a, in a sort of slave master way of understanding freedom or power we would say oh the ma the, the apprentice has become a master the master has lost his power mm-hmm Right. But, but what you're saying here is that, no, it's actually an increase in the master's power because now what's, hap what's happened is that the world is now inhabited by another master who's formed in the master's image. Right. Right. So he has, the father has shaped his son as, or, a, or this is true of friendship. Friends are shaping each other mm -hmm. as being another self. Mm -hmm. And that other self inhabits a world that is um, synonymous or, or, or at least, at least, um, uh, compatible like deeply compatible with with your own mm -hmm. right and so in working towards the same ends in the same sort of ways with the same the same conceptions of what's going on and so the unit of that group of friends that father and son unit that master apprentice unit have become more powerful together right right in the world it strikes me that this only works though if you are sharing the same ends so what i mean is within a master slave relationship uh, the end of the master is not the end of the slave. Exactly right. So the the slave would never become become someone who's pursuing their same end. The master right, end. That's right. That never like a, a slave that is simply uh, sort of phys physically becomes as free or powerful as the master is not pursuing yeah. the goods that the master. But is I mean, the, the the alternative we can see is obvious. Like what we're getting at here is obvious. So if you if you imagine a father who's raising sons and raising them into virtuous um, men in their own right, powerful men in their own right, mm -hmm. then as they achieve that, he becomes the patri patriarch of, of like a clan, mm -hmm. right? right? That, that is itself full of powerful people. Right. And so that he becomes more powerful as the head of a clan of powerful people. But not because he can order them in the same way it's he exactly could. It's exactly that they, he can't, that right. makes him more powerful. It's exactly that they're obedient to him, right? Out of love, because then they can deploy their creative freedom in the service of the common end that mm -hmm. they share. Yeah. That's what makes that grouping more powerful than a slave, a slave state of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. Where the master has to, um, has to duplicate his will in the slaves, but the slaves are always various degrees of restive, right? They never donate all of themselves to the cause of the master. They hate the master right? right. instead of loving him. And so that, that is a, le a less powerful formation because it's a, a formation of, of people who aren't free. So, so the social grouping itself becomes more free. You see, so, because it becomes yeah. more powerful. Yeah, and so far as individuals in it are more free, then it becomes more powerful. Yes. Which so, is paradoxical for the tyrant because <laughs> what tyranny tries to do is uh, resist anyone becoming free in their own right, becoming right. masters in their own right, becoming virtuous in their own right. Yeah. So that that, 
that relationship of, of slave and master can be yeah. maintained. So there's that aspect. The second thing I wanted to bring up about the socialness of this is important is that virtue, we talk about virtue very often and we, we, we in order to simplify the discussion, we, we talk about like virtue in a sort of general sense. Yeah. But in actual fact, virtue is always socially embedded. Mm -hmm. So the the virtues that an individual um, develops are always the virtues as instantiated in a particular social uh, reality. So yeah. in a historical reality, in a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, a, in a world, a social world. So the example of the piano is actually perfect in this one. So you're learning to play the piano. Mm -hmm. You're not learning music, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> like in a sort of general sense, you know, that, that, that category is always instantiated in, in a particular tradition of music, mm -hmm. right? A particular, a particular, in this case, instrument. And so you become a master of that instantiation. So when you become virtuous, a virtuous man is a master of the virtue of temperance in the way in which temperance is lived in this people, right? which is not the same as in different peoples. Yep. Because, and, and, I, and I hope people understand that what I'm getting at there, I'm not being a relativist here. I'm, I'm talking about the way in which universals are always are always in, it, are always instantiated in particulars. Mm -hmm. So the universal moral uh, law is is always only ever encountered by human beings in human human law, which is uh, a participation in that moral law or in, or a particular determination or specification, as Thomas will say, of that law. Um. So the example I've given a million times, and I'll give it again, is like the moral command to honor your mother and father doesn't amount to anything if there's not a way that we honor our mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm. We do we do A, B, and C, and the Japanese do you know D and E. Yeah, <laughs> they're right. different, but they're both they're both um, uh, they can both be totally just and valid ways of living the moral law. Yeah. Okay. So because it has to be determined to be some way of living it. Right. So what that means, though, is that when we talk about growing in virtue is growing in freedom, it's not a generic virtue. It's a particular form of virtue for a particular people. So what you're growing in freedom in is, is freedom as a member of that society within yeah. that social world. Mm -hmm. So another way, uh, uh, because we're social in our very nature, that's the only way freedom can be, yeah. right? I, I, I increase my – so if we talk about – we talk about learning about the world, learning about the cosmos, learning about what things are, how they interact, and then having our ability to arrange those things in the pursuit of our ends increased. What, what I'm getting at here is that those things that we're encountering in the world are always already bearing social the social implications. They're already – we never encounter them. We never encounter the tree other than – the tree as it's understood by us. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a people, mm -hmm. like we, this is, this is obvious in the very, in the very um, understanding of what language is and the way in which you're trained as a child to learn what things are. And in, in, in that training, it's not, they're not just generic labels. Those labels have content, right? Mm -hmm. This is a tree and we do these sorts of things with trees, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Trees are for this and not for that. Yeah. Right. And that's what the meaning of the thing is. And so you're already being the, – the mastery of the world that you're achieving is the mastery of a world that's already elevated into the social. Mm -hmm. So so it's – freedom then becomes becomes when we say what this – what are the things – one of the implications of this is that human freedom is bound within the freedom of society as a whole or like you were bringing up justice, that a just society is a prerequisite for the maximalization of human freedom, right? Like human freedom achieves its perfection when a, 
a, a virtuous man lives in a virtuous society. Right, because presumably if you lived in a sinful and shrunken society that could do very little things and viewed the world as as being, you know, small and artificial, then to be raised into that would be a you could be free within that society but still lack a greater possible freedom yeah, from your whole yeah. society becoming more free. Yeah, that's right. Or or it, you 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 could be you can be given a a a, a false it's never it's never perfectly false because that's impossible. But a, a an increasingly false or distorted view of what reality is. Yeah, here's the tree we worship it on Saturdays. We worship it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a perfect example. So so and and that and that inhibits the scope of your freedom because you don't you don't know what things are, <laughs> and you don't know what to do with them. Yeah, because both the society and and the person growing in virtue in the society is are still relating to a given creation. Right. So what I'm trying to get away from is any idea of like a, a the radical freedom, right? Of like like the social as if the social construction was not a construction of a given creation oh yeah yeah yeah, like yeah because because it, from that, nothing. That it's not any old social construction yeah that's the reason why it's so essential that we're talking about a just one yeah because there are unjust ones right and unjust ones constrain freedom by hurt freedom by make it harder to attain reality right yeah yeah and by and by ordering our will in in deformed ways mm -hmm. you know so so tricking us as to what the ends are that we're after mm -hmm. right so and and how to achieve them um, yeah, so that, that, that's a, that's a really important point, but, but in order to get at this social embeddedness of freedom, we have to, we have to understand, we have to really, we have to see how, how human freedom, I think in the Catholic understanding can still survive even in unjust societies, right? Because, and this, and this gets complicated, so I'll try my best here. Um, but you, you, you jump in when you need to, but human if, if human freedom in the way we're describing it, freedom as power, freedom as ability, is always socially embedded, then one of the things we have to understand is that society is not a hegemonic, unitary thing, but is rather, but is rather formed through a, a nested hierarchy of communities, of, of littler societies. So you have, uh, obviously, the family at the most fundamental level, and it's also the most important for the formation of a virtue. That's where the training happens most directly, and it's where human, uh, the, human, the human being is formed into an understanding of his world and the habits that's necessary to, to navigate that world. Now, the families are then grouped into, into communities that are, that are doing that on a larger scale, the communities into cities and so on, right? And the, the society builds out. Mm -hmm. The point, though, I'm getting at is that because you, it, you there, you could have an unjust, you can have a city say that has an unjust ordering to it, a constrained and cramped ordering to it, but within that, you can have family, family communities that are more just, and so the freedom of the families with are, are with the, of the individuals within the families are being achieved, yeah, right, um, but part of the world in which they now inhabit is the obstacles and the violence of the human beings that, that are unjust, right? Mm -hmm. The other aspects of this social world in which they live that are unjust. So the point being that they, what, one of the things they learn to master and learn to understand is exactly the sin of the people around them. Yeah, this seems to basically describe our world in which, <laughs> well, I mean, in which you have, and, and sometimes it's used 
nefariously, but it's like the family is this still can be described as this training ground of virtue. And mm-hmm. um, you can have that feeling of being at home, but it's now to such an extent, it's, it, it's almost the at-homeness is in distinction with the world where you are not at home. Like, no, no, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. The, and because, because this is exactly what we're experiencing. But when you read pre-modern literature, you're, it's shocking the extent to which people talk about their city as being their home. Mm. Right? I mean, you read pre-modern literature and it's just like they had this sense of love and, and, and comfort. And like as a, as a citizen of this community where I belong, where I am it, I am an Athenian. Right. You know, I am, uh, you know, from Milan or I am I mean, even all the way through the Middle Ages. It's an identification of who they are in the same sort of way that we would say, you know, I'm a Jones or you're a Barnes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because that's because our world has been so constrained that that familial aspect of that is one of the last kind of holdouts, the last places where many people have experienced it. Yeah. But I think in a just society in a more just society that experience is is pushed out into bigger and bigger realms but it's it's analogical you're not you're not at home in a city in the same exact way right. as you're at home with your family it's a right. different way it's a civil way yeah right but you're still um, you still are looking out into that world at, at whatever point of the scale you're at and saying that i am able to act with others according to like I'm able to choose means towards the ends of happiness and we're all doing this together. Yeah, because you, the way, the way, this is really what what I'm trying to get at is a sort of understanding of the way subsidiarity works in the Catholic Mm. tradition, but that, that those were, I mean, I think we've talked about this in an earlier podcast that maybe it's worth revisiting, which is that those worlds, those social worlds are constructed not prior to your involvement in them. Right. So like, I said this earlier that like when a child is born into a family, it's not just that the child is initiated into the family, the family is initiated into the child. The family changes in such a way that the child's personality is now an intrinsic aspect of what the family is. So the family, the child isn't, isn't just forced to just comply or conform to the family. The family's conforming to him. Mm -hmm. And this new thing is arising that now includes the child. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that, that's the way the bigger communities work with families and the, and the communities work with cities and the cities work with kingdoms, right? That this, and so the point is when you, when you say, I feel at home in those bigger things, it's like, I feel at home in the city because my family belongs in the city and the city has, has adapted. It's right. become what it is because of my family's involvement. Right. 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 And so on and so forth. That's, that's, that's the way, that's the way it works. And you, and again, if we wanted to go back to the, the, the piano, um, or the musical instrument thing, we can imagine this with like with how a band is formed, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the band, there's always something kind of wrong about like a band continuing to exist while mu- musicians are coming and going, mm-hmm. right? It's like, no, the band is these guys, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? And if you add different people to different bands, right? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so, so I think that there's maybe the analogy continues there. So, so, but the, but the gist of this is that is that individual freedom because we exist in these nested communities yeah freedom always has a place a social place because total depravity is impossible always has a social place to exist even mm-hmm. if that place becomes cramped and becomes oppressed and becomes full of obstacles mm-hmm. but as that occurs as it becomes cramped full of obstacles 
then the experience of freedom becomes an aspect of that becomes suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. So you you suffer, you're you're not a slave to the tyrant because you don't care about his punishments and don't desire his rewards, but that doesn't mean he can't hurt you. Mm -hmm. Right. So you now as a free man, you're a man who experiences the pain of tyranny. Mm -hmm. Right. The the pain the pain of constraint. But this is just the cross, right? This is just this is just that freedom then in the fallen world always has within it the experience of of some degree of martyrdom. Right. Maybe, th this seems like a good point to <clears throat> to discuss the way in which freedom changes in the hands of the tyrant. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we're supposed to be talking about. Well, no. I mean, I think this is important to so, <laughs> to summarize what we've said that yeah. it, that the Catholic description of freedom here is freedom as power, mm -hmm. where power is best understood as virtue, and what we look for when we look for a free man is not somehow the absence of constraints. We understand that to be often essential for the development of freedom that right. constraints are sometimes applied and then lifted off <laughs> yeah, sure. as the person grows into his own power, as his, right. his own mastery over his particular world. So it's power within a particular social world, mm -hmm. right? And it's a power that's always building up that social world and its freedom, even as you are becoming more free as a member of that world. Yeah, it's brilliant because it's a, it's a beautiful vision because as you become more free, as you become a greater master, yeah. it's a master exactly as the master of a vocation within a society. Right. So that means your mastery expands the scope of action or the power of the society as a whole. So this is, what, this is why when we can say something like freedom is a common good, we mean it like it's a good that's had together. Right. Yeah. Right. Like my expansion of my freedom increases your freedom. Right. Absolutely. And you can see this quite obviously that when someone becomes powerful and that power is directed towards the common good, then everyone who doesn't have that power benefits. Benefits. Yeah. It becomes more powerful in their it's own It's like right. what people say about wealth, except for it's true. Except it's true. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> people say, oh, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. boats. Um which is, I guess, a, a physical analogy that's true, but it's not the case um, but necessarily. But in this Catholic conception, freedom becomes exactly non-competitive. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the whole liberal notion of you're free to do whatever you want, that doesn't inhibit the freedom of anyone else, mm -hmm. which I guess we, I we guess that's, talk ju about. that's jumping the game. All right. So it, 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 it's, it's exactly, is exactly framing it in the, the wrong way. <laughs> so I think the description of Catholic freedom is really important though, because it explains to me a, a situation that I often run into, which is that live in america and everyone's free in america yeah and the people who free like the three-year-old big <laughs> well i mean this is okay. what I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I just i run into people who um and often it's like the degree to which they sort of loudly proclaim their freedom mm -hmm. is precisely the degree to which they're actually powerless uh, and maybe this isn't always true but it, it, i've run into it a lot where people that are um have fewer friends who are not able to affect um, their social world in a significant way, who are often simply consuming, you know, mm -hmm. goods um, without growing in mastery over anything in particular, um, are often the people who are most insistent that yeah that they're free. Um, maybe this isn't a this isn't a common experience, but. It no. does seem to suggest that one of the principal ways in which um, liberalism considered as a tyranny, and we, we can see the degree to which this is general for tyranny or whether it's specific to liberalism, um, seems to change the notion of freedom 
so that it doesn't need to include your power. Right. So that somehow you can be free without being powerful, without having any ability to do more than when you weren't free. <laughs> right, which is a nice, a nice, a nice thing for the tyrant. Well, this is what I mean. I, so, I'm, so I'm, when, I, I'm just pointing to the to the, maybe the obvious, and then we can sort of discuss how, the mechanism of this. That it sure would be nice if you were a tyrant to have everyone unable to do anything about your tyranny, and in that very inadequacy, also believe themselves to be free. Be, yeah, believe themselves to be free. And it, but it's a freedom that does not, does not calm their anxiety or their fear, but actually amplifies it, which makes them more susceptible to your manipulation. Mm -hmm. Which maybe explains the, <laughs> the the volume at which they proclaim themselves to be free. I mean, I, I it's hard to imagine. I mean, within the, the conception of freedom, the sort of pure negative conception of freedom, just the absence of coercion. Yeah, yeah, coercion if we understand it in the most general sense, but constraint might be better. Okay. Um, is exactly the production of individuals, and this is something we should really talk about, is that are not at home in the world. So they don't they don't inhabit a world in which they have any control. <laughs> and so that 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 makes them free in the sense that like a bee, a, a fly is free to buzz around the room wherever it wants, but it's also um terrified always <laughs> it's scared i maybe that maybe maybe i should describe what i'm trying to get just, here. yeah and you have a hist i mean because it's a it's a bold claim to say that well to me it seems bold anyways that to say that the, the the tyrant uses the notion of freedom as a mechanism for increasing well let me tyranny. i can explain how it works i think maybe. yeah go for it i'll try to here we go okay so <laughs> um I, I, I think the way I would want to do it is to is to go back to the founding myths of liberalism. Okay. I mean, and this may may, may be tedious for people because we've gone through it so many times in the past, but like if we go through it again, that you know, liberalism f fantasizes about a world where where in the beginning there's a, it's a big sea of individuals that are all pursuing their individual subjective ends, their desires, whatever they happen to be, and they realize so in the Hobbesian in the Hobbesian scenario they they end up fighting with each other and then and and then realize that that that's not conducive to the achievement of their ends. And so, um, well, that's not really the way Hobbes tells the story, but never mind. Let's not get into the particulars. So let's just say they realize that fighting or being um, isolated is not the thing that's most conducive to their to the achievement of their individual ends. And so they come together to form um, uh, association, an association that provides certain public goods that facilitates their pursuit of their individual gains. But the, the, the way in which that occurs is by trading away some of their freedom. Right. Okay. So from the very beginning, the idea is that the public good, so let's say the, the, the basics of some sort of government. So in order to keep you all from, so that you can enjoy your property and do whatever you want, we're all going to get together and establish a government that's going to make a police force and an army that's going to protect your private property. But the, what the way this story is told is that, that is a trading away of your freedoms to some of your freedoms to do whatever you want in exchange for the the um, the facility uh, the, the the public goods that are created facilitating your desire fulfillment. So here is where we can see directly that freedom becomes um, a means rather than an end. Right? Mm -hmm. It's something you'll trade away for some other good. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like security. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now. The way this story is told is that the fantasy is that there's no prior social space. The, the creation of the social space 
it occurs in this social contract, right? Like that, like the individuals coming together for this reason is what produces the social thing. Yeah. Um, and so all that within their telling, then all social, all social groupings are now possible because of this prior contract that right. has come together. Okay. So all social groupings are in, are a compromise of freedom. Right. Basically. Yeah. Okay. So now we've already seen, we already see in this that freedom is, there's a different conception of freedom here. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's, it's already, we're conceiving of freedom as the area in which you're not constrained. Yeah. Right. Um, and that, and that's so, something and that, that allows you to say, okay, I'll take some constraint on in this area in order to in order maintain to, have, lack. to maintain the freedom to pursue desire over here. Yes. I'll be constrained in this area because it helps me in the other area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. And, um, and so freedom is this, is this bargaining chip mm -hmm. basically in the pursuit of some end other than freedom. Right. Freedom itself is not the end you're pursuing. Okay. So, but the truth of of, of the uh, of liberalism, of course, historically, is that it doesn't it isn't the founding of social order, but it f comes on into history where there are already societies on the ground. Yeah, right. And so the social space is already occupied, and it's occupied by non-liberal orders. <laughs> okay, so it's occupied with, with with things, the kinds of things that we were talking about earlier, the kinds of of nested hierarchical structures. So you could say, you know, obviously you say something like family, church, moral codes, mm -hmm. um, associations, mm -hmm. friendship groups, villages, whatever. I mean, yeah. all the sort of like aristocracy, aristocracy, all, all yeah. social structures that are both sort of um, governmental or social, that, but also intellectual, linguistic, mm -hmm. all the sort of structures that make society work are already there when liberalism shows up. Right. Right. And so then, so the question then when, when liberal, liberal minded individuals um, attempt to live out the liberal myth. What they ask, what they're actually deliberating on, is not which public goods to create, but what they're actually deliberating on is, is which pre-existing structures to destroy, mm -hmm. and and then how to replace them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and now if we so if we internalize or if we if we if we get a handle on the objective of the fulfillment of individual desires, whatever they happen to be, then we can start to see how these sorts of deliberations and negotiations within a liberal political regime operate. Mm -hmm. So you could say something like, okay, an army makes sense, the police makes sense, this helps us because it defends us against criminals and against foreign forces. But then you might also say something like, well, you know, the need to, um, the need to educate my children is a big burden on me. Right. Like that, that, that is something that inhibits my ability to do whatever I want. The fact mm -hmm. that I have to educate my children. So it'd be really useful if we could get together and get someone else to do that. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the society goes, yeah, let's, let's make public schools. All right. That, that, that frees us to do, um, it frees us from the burden of educating the children, which enables us to, to better perceive or pursue our desires. Mm -hmm. You can say, you can see the logic of that. But again, that original liberal deal where you're trading away freedom in exchange for um, some public good that's going to help you pursue your desires and play there because now you've you've traded away the ability you've traded away basically the ability to to educate your children in whatever way you want, like towards whatever ends you want. Right. Right. So you had more you had that freedom 
before you traded it away, you trade that freedom away in exchange for what? Opening up your freedom? <laughs> in a sense, you're no longer burdened by the educating, educating your children. Okay, so, so you can pursue your desires more completely. So the point is, the point that I'm getting at is that the, the sort of point at which liberal society stops destroying pre-existing structures or non-liberal structures is uncertain. That's the content of liberal politics. So the debate would be, okay, we've, we've created public schools. Now maybe, you know, taking care of my elderly parents is a burden. So mm -hmm. can, can, and, and we've decided that it would be, it would be useful to us to not do that anymore. Okay. So now can we construct some sort of system that will do that? Or then, and, and it, 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 the point I'm getting at, I'm trying, one of the things I'm trying to get at here is, is that we can see just sort of historically speaking that the, the extension of the liberal notion of the liberal end, which is not freedom, right? Um, but the ability to maximize your, your desires. So maybe we could say the freedom to do that, okay? Mm -hmm. The freedom to, to achieve your desires, whatever they are, the ability to do that. The extension of that is, is done through the expansion of the public apparatus in the, the, into so the centralized public apparatus into pre-existing social structures, mm -hmm. right? And the replacement of those social structures with this, this centralized one. Mm -hmm. So it's, and this is important to understand because if, if the idea, the liberal idea is that the individual actor is the one who's pursuing his desires, then the way in which we're going to maximize that is by extracting that individual out of the social embeddedness in which he finds himself, mm -hmm. right? And, and so the, way, the only way to do that is to expand the universal structures at the expense of the nested hierarchical ones, Yeah, right? So a way of maybe thinking of this would be that the, 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 the notion of individual liberty as understood by the liberals is, is sort of a conspiracy of the individual hedonist and the highest structures of power against everything in between. Right. <laughs> right. So, so it's like, if you want, and this is something that, that the, the, the right liberals, so like libertarian minded people, and we can see how that and the progressive, like kind of left liberals, more progressive minded people share a philosophy. There's no, there, there, this is a policy argument, not a philosophical one between them, right? Which so it, structure, which structure which, shall we destroy? Which ones are most next? Are, are the best to destroy, and which ones aren't? Which is why right? I, this is the argument. It's yeah. not a philosophical one. It's a it's a policy debate, right? And and it's also you can also see how the the um, the libertarians how there's a sort of foolishness here on both sides where where the libertarian dream or that dream of of a sea of autonomous, self-interested, rational actors is only achievable. You can only approach the achievement of that by expanding the centralized structure of control to encompass everything, mm -hmm. essentially. But so that's the only way, that's the only way that that individual actor can be realized in any sort of any way close to being a historical reality. Right. Right. Um, okay. But one of the things that I want to get at here is that we have to see how as that expansion of the centralized apparatus occurs, what's happening is that the possible ends are being collapsed of, act, of action. Yeah. 
So I gave that example of the public school, yeah. right? Now the, the possible forms of education have collapsed. Yeah, it's whatever the public schools do. Right. So I'm going to participate in this. That means my ends have collapsed. Well, that's the way the expansion of all these public goods works, mm -hmm. right? So they, they, the expansion of them is necessarily the collapsing of possible ends because they have to be they – they're, they're, they're finite. Mm -hmm. the, these structures have to have, to, um, have a particular um, form in mind or a particular course of action in mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. So what this what happens then is you get you get this strange I think historical reality um but nevertheless it's one we experience where you have you know like who's the freest person the freest person in our society and and you get this sort of I think the idea of of a sort of autonomous atomized urbanite individual who desires what does he desire like he he's after money and and then and then some sort of lifestyle gratification mm -hmm. right and of approved lifestyle so it might be money and sex or money and fitness and money or maybe he wants to be like a foodie or whatever who cares i mean the point is that like money and then some sort of lifestyle hobby that the money access that that is approved mm -hmm. all right within the approved structure now with if he stays within those bounds what he finds is a vast system of public goods that facilitate his pursuit of those things. Mm -hmm. He moves effortlessly through the social whole, right? Like the whole sort of system is, is set up with these vast arrays of public goods in order to facilitate that. Yeah, right. So he's, he's, he has this, uh, we might think of that as being a freedom, right? Like a freedom to do that. He's not inhibited by family. He's not inhibited by morality. He's not inhibited by his church. He's not inhibited, right? He has no sort of bounds, but the course of action that that freedom occurs in is extremely narrow mm. right it's like yeah that's true if you are here if you're if you're pursuing this particular path as soon as as soon as you deviate from that then all of a sudden you start feeling the constrictions of all of that social structure right mm -hmm. immediately right i mean it becomes something that 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 inhibits your freedom so what i'm getting at is that this creates cultural homogeneity mm -hmm. right not diversity so that the the, the the maximization of liberal freedom leads to the collapsing of possibilities. Yeah, it's like when you're uh, when you're on when you're on the road, you can go really fast, but yeah. as long as you're on the road. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 like we experience this thing all the time, right? Where you can get the illusion of freedom. So, so an example would be an example I've given before is because it really happened to me not too long ago, and it was weird. Was um, being at the grocery store and having my wife send me a text that says, pick up some granola bars. Mm -hmm. And then I go to the granola bar aisle and there's like a thousand kinds of granola bars. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I have no idea what, what to pick here. This yeah. is a bazillion. But the point is they're all just different versions of the same thing. Right. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, wow, I have so much choice about nothing. Do you know, right. you know, and, and that's kind of the way the way all this appears, it appears it's like if you stay within the the hom the homogeneity, then um, and you and you've conformed yourself then to the ends of the social whole. So so like, if it is true that what you just want is what is deemed as success in in the social order, so you've conformed your ends to that, mm -hmm. then you appear to have choices, right? Like I can buy whatever kind of car I want. Mm -hmm. The fact that I need a car, mm -hmm. that my social order is structured in such a way that cars are are required. If I decide not to have a car, I have a real problem. Yeah, the fact that 
the actual differences between the cars are minimal to the point of being non-existent to an objective observer, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I mean, like if you actually step back and look at them, they all look exactly the same. They all have the same like color schemes. They all have the exact same styles. They all, I mean, it's like there's no actual interest at all in choosing them. What's the point? Just right. give me one at random. They're all the same, Yeah. right? But you like go shopping and get to choose your car, you know? <laughs> it, 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 but that that's the collapsing of of choice within the bounds of the ends that are being pursued by the structure as a whole. Right. See what I'm saying? Um, so homogeneity is what results from this mm-hmm. um, and, and not diversity and not, not, not an expanding world of possibilities, but a constricting world of possibilities. Right. Right. So you get this phenomenon of, you know, um, uh, the, the, the suburbs of, of America, it doesn't matter what city you go to, they're all exactly the same, right? Like, like across, totally across the country, right? It doesn't matter if you're talking about LA or Philadelphia, this housing developments are just this endless, endless sea of, of homogenous beige mm-hmm. with the same uh, strip malls with the same stores in them with the same, and, the, and everybody is choosing what they're going to consume, but everyone's consuming more or less the same thing. Right. This is this is the the this is the end result I think of this conception of of freedom. Now you contrast that with with the Catholic conception, where because we imagine freedom as being socially embedded in hierarchies of of social groupings and being the maximization of their power to achieve their ends, what you end up with is is in the same sort of way that you end up with with different different people who have different abilities you end up with different communities that are different mm-hmm. right and this this um differences in the in the community so they're they're doing things in truly different ways they mm-hmm. look different they act different they're pursuing their the end of happiness and different by through different means because that's what it means to be free you as an inhabitant inhabitant of that society become to inhabit a world that has more complexity and more and more interest in it. You become you from your own embedded position, wherever you happen to be, are in a world in which you can see the possibilities of the world. Right. And that and that actually that actually um, increases your ability within your cultural setting to be creative. Right. Okay. So the world becomes a more creative place overall. Mm-hmm. So this is where, you know, people talk about diversity is leading to creativity and they're right. Mm-hmm. Right. But the, the way, the way the, um, the progressives want to talk about that is in this individualist notion, which is, which is the exact opposite of what, of what's right about diversity being, being, um, conducive to creativity. Right. Because what they mean is diversity at the individual level, which is just another way of saying, some people buy Hondas and other people buy Kias. And how how does how does this conduce um, to rule for private gain? Right. So there's two ways. Uh, the the first way is that those those centralized structures themselves serve right. the masters who build them. They kind of are the master. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so you conform yourself to the will in, in a sort of Hobbesian language. We could say you conform yourself to the will of the sovereign. Right, and that's the way in which you discover freedom, and that so the 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 people who control those these public structures that um, facilitate desire fulfillment are doing so in a self interested way. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I mean, loads of examples, but let's let's say something like, um, uh, you know, going to college or something. So you you pursue 
you know, there's a, there's a certain path to middle-class success and that path passes through getting a bachelor's degree. Yeah. Okay. So you have to get a college degree and that's like your sort of ticket in. Um, so, you know, that's the homogenous sort of structure that, that leads you into your, your ability to achieve this particular end. But that itself is a giant exploitation racket, right? So, so the way in which you get a bachelor's degree is by borrowing $70,000 mm -hmm. for a degree that doesn't actually teach you anything, but is just a sort of um, certificate that you are allowed to be middle class, mm -hmm. right? And, that's, and, and then you spend the next 30 years of your life paying back the people you borrowed the money from. And it's a form of indentured servitude, right. for example. So it's still different than buying a ticket to Virginia and saying, I'll serve you for, I'll serve as a slave for three years when we get there. <laughs> and then I get to be an American, right? Like that's basically what it is. It's just a new form of that, of that. But I think that's the sort of way in which, in which um, these structures work. So you, okay, you want to be rich. You want to be on, go on vacation every year and have your three cars and all that kind of stuff. Okay. That means that you sell medical equipment or something. That's like the way this works. So that right. means you, whatever, you're a banker or whatever, you know, whatever. Um, but those things uh, serve, serve, um, serve people's ends. So that's one way. The other, the other way is that it, it doesn't work. So people, people who are atomized within big structures don't achieve the end of the human beings, which is happiness. Yeah. Right. So they're achieving, they're being, they're being gratified. Sure. With whatever disordered ends they're pursuing. Um, but that gratification doesn't make you happy. It makes you miserable. Right. It makes you fearful. It makes you sad. Okay, well, sad people are manipulable. Sad people, you know, uh, vicious is vicious in a technical sense, right? Like vice ridden yeah. people are controllable, mm -hmm. um, and 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 they're like we were saying that there's a you know if 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 virtue is power, viciousness is weakness, and so as as people descend into materialism, into pleasure hedonism, whatever it is, whatever th these ends are, they're actually becoming increasingly less powerful. Mm -hmm. Right there, so they're in this, and this goes back to the stuff we've talked about in other podcasts about propaganda and bureaucracy. They become yeah. more susceptible to pop propaganda. They become more dependent upon the bureaucracy. They become more fanatical, more fanatical in their beliefs. They become more, more um, manipulable, right? Um, and weaker. They become weaker. Mm -hmm. So that I think is is the other aspect of this. So the promise of freedom. So you know the liber You can show up and go. I'll destroy the church and make you free. You know, we let's get them. Let's get rid of their influence on you and privatize it or whatever. Okay, great. You know, let's go for it. You can, it's like, it's like the three-year-old on the keyboard with someone showing up and say that master is so mean to you, the way he's making you hold your hands. Doesn't that hurt? Let's stop doing that. Oh yeah. Get rid of that guy. All right. But what you've really done is now cleared the field for the tyrant, right? right. Now the biggest opposition to tyranny, which was always the church has now been reduced right. and been minimized. Um, uh, in its ability to exert, um, uh, to resist tyranny. Yeah, and that's true of all the social institutions. Absolutely. Like you consider the same thing, like your family is, okay, maybe necessary to get you off the ground, but ultimately oppressive. So when you turn 18, go to college, move away, don't look back. Right. Sure. Okay. So you say yes, and you spend the money to do it. And then um, you can gratify those those things that I guess you couldn't somehow within your family, but uh, now you have that much less power, right? Because who do you turn to when you need to get something done? You're completely done? dependent upon the system, right? You right? start to so, rent a lot of 
services that could otherwise be provided you're completely by dependent upon it friends and, and family you don't know how it works you don't know who's serving you you don't understand the mechanisms that are facilitating your life which means you're anxious which means you submit yeah right 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 and so you yeah you become a part of the apparatus and you that's the only way you know how to function now do you think that this um redescription of freedom which i think that that image of uh going to the three-year-old and saying, let's get rid of your master is pretty it's appropriate. Yeah. Because <laughs> what, it's, what it's really saying is, don't you not like these constraints? Mm-hmm. Get rid of constraint. Um, and completely, completely removing itself from any question of whether those constraints are for something particular, something... Yeah, because the truth is, is that some constraints are themselves tyrannical, right? So right. there's always... Like it's sometimes the right thing to say is let's get rid of those constraints. Well, and in a similar way, there's there are things that a liberal society destroys that should be destroyed if not for the particular reasoning of yeah of yeah the liberal right. because, do because it. human society is full of sin. Right. right. So so, so a liberal things. a liberal organization might end up destroying guilds on one hand because they are somehow oppressing the individual with a system of mastery, but they also might destroy an actually oppressive cult. Right, right, like <laughs> that's right. No, that's right. Yeah. So, so, you, so there's always a there's always a credibility to the claims. Yes. Because of that. Right. Right. And it's hard to distinguish. It's hard from from the position of the three year old child. Yeah. It's very hard to distinguish between the master who's teaching you for your own gain, for your own benefit, right, and the master who's abusing you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the three year old's not really in a position to judge that. How much of this do you think is specific to liberalism versus tyranny as a whole? So what I mean is, I can see within the liberal. Um, uh, origin myths and their actual um, a, a destruction of of pre-liberal societies and structures. Um, I can see how this works. Well, it's interesting you would ask that. I mean, I. But I'm wondering about like Diocletian, like, or like Hitler, well, well, or like someone I, that's no, yeah, right. Just I mean, because it seems no, but to be think it has about their to, arguments, like yeah. Hitler's arguments. You know. I'm going to liberate you from from not only from international Jew the Jew, Jewish conspiracy right right who's who's oppressing you right but then also from the nefarious Western powers the French and the British and the Americans who are who you know screwed us after the First World War and we're going to free ourselves from them so there's always that that language of freedom I think yeah. is there even you know I was just last night actually I was reading um, I was reading Plato in the Republic when he talks about the tyrants and the rise of tyranny and 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 he talks about how the tyrant always uses the um one of the things he does is 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 is, is rallies the rabble against the wealthy for mm-hmm. example that they're oppressing you they're the oppressors mm-hmm. we're gonna you know they're, they're, i think that argument is always in play mm-hmm. so um like you said sometimes it's justified sometimes it's not but the argument is always i think that the reason why you're unhappy is or the reason why you're feeling constrained is because these other people are doing this to you and I'm the one who can stop them. Right. Right. So that's, and then, and then you can do whatever you want. Right. And that's a, it's a sort of Faustian, you know, it's a deal to deal with the devil. Yeah. It's almost like the, the move that maybe bridges between our particular tyranny and all tyrannies is that the um, tyrant never works to reform society, but to replace things that are, described or actually bad with himself yeah you know because it, because there's another way in which you can look at it i mean you yeah. think about the church i see what you mean yeah. maybe in the middle ages looking at um societies 
that were actually being oppressive. I'm thinking of like, like um, the need for moral reform within yeah. the the hierarchy of the church. But the point was never. It's an incredibly important point, actually. It's a very subtle one. Well, what I mean is the the the, the Christian move within a hierarchy of power in which you're all orientated towards um, getting more freedom is that wherever you see a, a part of that society in which people are actually being stunted in their freedom because of sin, greed. Um, the point is reform because mm -hmm. the society is understood to be the good thing. And what's bad is actually that there's people within the society that aren't actually acting for the society. Yeah. And, and so the that's right. institutions need to be reformed. Um, the point is not let's get rid of the monasteries you know, or any particular yeah. no, destructive I mean, that, that I think is, is, is right. I mean, I think there's a real subtlety here about how Christianity is different than other forms of organizing the social the social whole because Christianity includes within itself its negation. I mean, I don't mean to get too Hegelian here, but like, but like what I mean is what Christianity is, is the reform of sin into virtue. It's the movement, yeah. right, from imperfect to perfect. It's not, it's not just the perfect thing. It doesn't propose society as a stasis. Right. It pro proposes society as a dynamic movement, right? And so it includes sin the existence of sin is not proof that Christianity isn't there. Like Christianity is the pre the precondition for Christianity's understanding of itself is that sin is there. Right. Right. So that so it it it's a perpetual reform, not not because there's something wrong with it, because that, but because that's what it is like in its essence. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Human beings are are don't achieve perfection in, on earth. Yeah. And so there's a I think there's a there's, a, there's an always within Christianity, the ability to survey yourself, find your corruption and attempt to heal it. None of which is the overthrowing of the social whole. It is the operation of the uh, social. Yeah, whole. right. Totally. And, right. and it seems like the lie kind of present in all tyranny is that a um, completion of that dynamic movement is possible. Yeah, you can finish it. Right, so we can achieve just, this just do this, and then yeah. and then we'll all be happy. This is the reason why we have sin because of these people. If we get rid of them, this it's these social institutions that are causing this. If we get rid of it, then we'll be done. Mm -hmm. We can be done. Yeah, and in each right. each getting rid of, there's always a replacement of the. It's a lie. It's a deal. Yeah, you end up it's, with the tyrant just yeah. running the yeah yeah more and more of the show more and more of it right, and yeah. the collapsing of your freedom into more and more set paths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Um, and so increasingly your freedom consists of submission or conformity of your will to the will of another. Right. So like Hobbes talks about this. He says, he says basically that the only freedom that's finally possible is the freedom of the slave who's so obedient that the master can take his chains off. And, he's, and he still does what he's told. Right. And right. it's like, is he free? It's like, well, sort of. He could run away at any point, but he doesn't. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, and then Hobbes is like, that's the only freedom that's ultimately possible. Mm-hmm. Which is dark but probably true in a certain from a certain perspective right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean once once what you're denying is that freedom is the power uh that's always being distributed um within society ultimately from god all the way down um to attain happiness then yeah, I don't see what else you would. This is the reason posit. why the, there's this, and we've talked about this I think before, but again, it's always worth bringing these things up again because they're particular points of confusion for people. 
that when you read the social encyclicals in the 19th century, why the popes are just continuously harping on authority and the reality of social authority mm. and the God-given nature of authority. Yeah. Because what they're talking about is, is this, this sort of bottom up people, the people want freedom from all constraint is, is the tactic of the tyrants. And they say this, this is a tactic of these, of these evil forces that are these evil um, um, people who are attempting to manipulate the masses against, against structures of authority. And they are in the end, in the end, they, it will turn into a society that's merely dominated by the powerful. I mean, that's what the popes say is like, that's what you're going to get yeah. because, because of what we talked about last time, that human, human stratification or human structures of, of relative power are always going to exist. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to eradicate that. And, and even if you reduce it as much as possible, which I think is a big sea of individuals who are submitted to a, a massive ubiquitous, um, state that has basically infinite power that's about as close as you can get to eliminating authority but it's ironically it's absolute maximization right yeah right um so yeah that's i guess that's what we're getting at here <laughs> <laughs> okay well i felt like i just interviewed I, like i i played interviewer and not participant i've talked too much well no it's just that i i need you to thread me through all of that <laughs> uh difficulty yeah, I mean, I think that our Catholic conception of freedom seems to end up somewhere like um, people becoming happier by becoming more virtuous, by working very hard together um, on a smaller scale to produce a larger and larger scale of freedom. Right, but we don't. What we don't want to do is 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 substitute freedom. Like what we don't want to do is say. Is, is do a sleight of hand, right? Like where 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 liberals talk about freedom, and then we say, "Oh yeah, well, but that's not really freedom. This over here is freedom, and then we have it." And they're like, "Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about, <laughs> right?" You know what I mean? That is like sort of sleight of hand you can do. Sure. Um, like I guess when I when you say when, that, I hear people saying things like, "Well, real freedom is freedom for the good." Exactly. Yeah. And yeah what yeah. you have is fake freedom because it's orientated towards bad. Yeah, and it's like, but I get. I, my orientation towards the bad is my ability to choose the bad, which seems like freedom, right? right? And, and what we have to say is that, no, what you mean by freedom liberals, which, which is, seems to be something like the freedom from constraint, mm -hmm. um, even though they get trot in this big paradox about that, is what we're saying is that the Catholic conception maximizes that. Yeah. Like what you mean by it is, is comprehended within what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. Like, so we're talking people about most, if you actually want the end result of a people maximally free of constraint, what you need is a virtuous people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the flip side of that is, and really when you press liberals on freedom, normally they do end up with some sort of a positive notion because you start pushing on this and they understand that. Yeah. Right. You know, they start to understand it and you say, so now we can start talking about how the scope and range of freedom increases with of virtue and I, I think you can I think you can get people to see that there's that there's something to the to what we're saying. Yeah. Even from a liberal perspective. Right, right, right. Well let's hope. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Till next time. Thanks everyone. Appreciate it. Thanks.